So we're in, embedding ourselves in this in, incredible story. It's so familiar, though, that it, there's a barrier to really understanding and absorbing the message in Scripture sometime when you, know, you think you know a story so well. Uh, this is, of course, the story of people searching for Jesus, for the Christ child. When I think of searching for Jesus, it always reminds me of uh, bulletin bloopers, uh, one of which is uh, in that theme, but whenever I think of bulletin bloopers, I think of some of my favorites, um, such as uh, you can read in the Sunday morning bulletin in some churches things like, this afternoon there will be a meeting in the south and north ends of the church. Children will be baptized at both ends. Uh, this being Easter Sunday, we will ask Mrs. Lewis to come forward and lay an egg on the altar. Uh, Thursday, morning at five, Thursday evening at 5 p.m., there will be a meeting of the Little Mothers Club. All wishing to become little mothers, please see the pastor in his study. That's a real bulletin thing. <laughs> Next Sunday, a special collection will be, will be taken to defray the cost of the new carpet. All those wishing to do something on the new carpet will come forward and get a piece of paper. Um, Again, these aren't from our church. I'm just a messenger here. A bean supper will be held Tuesday evening in the church hall. Music to follow. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to the choir practice. <laughs> our youth basketball team will be back in action next week. Come out and watch us kill Christ the King. Miss <laughs> um, Charlene Mason will sing, I will not pass this way again giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. Um, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. And finally, and thematically for today, the sermon this morning will be Jesus Walks on Water. The sermon tonight will be Searching for Jesus. Of course, today we're talking about the wise men in their search for the Christ child. They traveled from far away. Uh, another story on Christmas Day, there was a family that, uh, after they opened their presents with their small children, they packed up and drove just a few hours away to another town to visit relatives there. And as they drove into the new town right onto Main Street, uh, they passed by the Episcopal Church where there was a manger scene just like there was until yesterday right out here in front of our church. Uh, there was a manger scene there in front of the Episcopal Church, and as they drove by, the five-year-old in the backseat of the car kind of was mesmerized by what he saw. There Jesus and the wise men and the shepherds and the animals, and he asked his parents what it all meant. He had never seen one before, and his mother explained, well, that's Mary, and that's um, the baby Jesus, and they're all there in the manger. A few blocks later, they passed the Methodist church where a scene was depicting just the journey of the wise men. You had some camels and some, you know, uh, royally dressed guys, and they were clearly on the, in the midst of a journey, and the little boy asked, Mom and Dad, who are they? This time, the father replied. He said, well, those are the wise men. They're looking for the baby Jesus. Well, the boy said, they won't find him here. He's back at the Episcopal church. So we're all looking for, for this Emmanuel whom we whose arrival we celebrate at Christmas. And um, whether we know it or not, we're looking for what Jesus represents, what he brings, we say, from a faith perspective. Peace, relief, a strong and sure sense of self. Those are things that are gifts that we can't 
create for ourselves. And so we're all searching for him in one way or the other. So with that in mind, I want to welcome you to this celebration today of the epiphany of our Lord when Christians everywhere celebrate through this story of the Magi, the wise men, the astrologers from back east, the manifestation of the light of God to the whole world, to the nations. Um, the Magi were the first non-Jewish people to come into the presence of the newborn king, this incarnation of God, as we, we believe. And so when we read the story of the Magi, we usually um, focus on what I would say today, in today's terms, are the Instagram-worthy aspects of the story, the brilliant star looming over the stable, showing the travelers where they would find the precious baby Jesus in the manger, the wise men dressed usually in fine robes and bringing magnificent gifts, maybe not so useful for a child, but honor gifts that honor Jesus for the unique child and human being that he will be. Uh, it all sounds like a sort of a familiar, nice play or tableau. It all comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Only Matthew tells this story. Uh, and it all is wonderful and warm and fuzzy until we get to King Herod, whom we're going to hear a lot from today. Herod was a real pain, but Herod was also in real pain. The Roman government had appointed Herod the Great and some other Herods after him, but this is the story of Herod the Great, who was the Tetrarch of Galilee and Judea during in the moment when Jesus of Nazareth was born. Uh, and I heard a preacher once use very graphic terms to describe Herod's methods or modus operandi as this sort of puppet king established by the Romans. This preacher said that Herod used one of two methods to respond to his enemies, and in his mind he had enemies everywhere. Either he bought them or he butchered them. And that is an apt description. Herod, among others, murdered one of his wives, his own brother, three of his sons, a number of in-laws. Um, and so a little bit later, in the, uh, just in a few minutes, we're going to hear and experience Herod uh, in the middle of a, what we would call, St. John of the Cross would call the, a dark night of the soul sort of can't sleep, just tormented by what he's done, what he's going to do, why he has to do it, why he feels compelled to do it, and his search, like we all search, for some kind of relief, some kind of respite from this agony and fear and lust for power that drive him. Herod is a person who would use his power, which was considerable, to overcome whatever obstacles faced him, and he accomplished a lot in his lifetime, in his reign, but also... Herod used his power, like we all do, to ward off fears, to overcome challenges, to get through suffering, and to eliminate threats, whatever threat might be coming our way. But even though he was wealthy and powerful and has gone down in history as an acclaimed and feared tyrant, Herod was so similar to all of us because the way he was living wasn't living at all. He suffered and a result of his suffering, a great many other people have suffered as well. Herod the Great had accomplished a colossal building project in and around Jerusalem and other parts of what we now know as Israel. He was responsible for the renovation of the second temple in Jerusalem, the basement wall of which is all we have left today. 
Um, he was responsible for the expansion of the Temple Mount, that area now which also holds mosques and Christian churches just right next to them in Jerusalem. Herod constructed the port at Caesarea, which I've seen. It's an amazing still today, the fortress at Masada and so many other places. But because of his insecurity as a human being, no amount of power was enough. He could never eliminate all the threats that were in his mind, if not real threats around him. His insecurity, King Herod the Greats, was so strong and so powerful uh, that he ordered a group of citizens, prominent citizens in Jerusalem, to be detained until he died. And when he died, they were executed so that there would, he could guarantee that the public would mourn his death. And that's what he did. And we see in the story of King Herod, which we're going to experience in a few moments, as John shares it with us, this biblical pattern, which I just want to lift up for you today, this pattern of blessing and peace and salvation and fulfillment coming through suffering, through challenge, through hardship, through the shadows and the darkness of a troubled night. Uh, we saw that in the text that Garrett read eventually, for, uh, quoting Jeremiah in Rama, right? Rachel weeping for her children who were no more. Rachel, the Jacob, one of Jacob's wives, the mother of Joseph and Benjamin who died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin, her younger son. Uh, and then Jeremiah, centuries later, evoked her as he talked about the sadness and devastation of the exile, the being people being torn from their homes. And then, of course, as far back as Adam and Eve, we know that life as we know it came only through the break, the severing of a relationship, only comes through hard work and through childbirth birth, as these ancient Hebrews sought to tell the story of why we are the way we are as humans. Because like Adam and Eve, we believe the serpent's lie. You can be like God. Just do it on your own. Use your own ingenuity, power, your stick to your aspirations, your gifts. And like Herod, like them, always in the story in the Bible, there are consequences to that decision. People do suffer that we don't have to suffer and agonize alone. That's the ultimate story of the three kings today. We eventually do find Emmanuel, God with us. Or maybe the better news is Emmanuel, the king, the child, finds us. And this is a love that has been tested, um, a love that has experienced not just, Jesus didn't just take on human characteristics, he took on the human condition, the same one that we all face, and his rising, his salvation, his vindication and victory only came through the worst kind of suffering. He has experienced everything we can possibly experience. He's gone through the toughest circumstances, been in the strangest places, and that tells us that God's love in Christ can always be trusted. Um, a love that hasn't been tested really isn't love at all. Anybody who's a parent knows, or a child of a parent, we, we, we suffer, we're willing to put ourselves out for those we love. A love that hasn't been tested, as I said, isn't really love at all, but we do trust to know that the love from people who've suffered on our behalf is a love we can count on. And that's the story of the three kings, the wise men, that's the story of Herod, the story of the agony that an individual 
a community, a world, has to, we sort of have to go through this for some reason in order to experience true peace and rest. Peace and rest we can't achieve on our own. It can only be a gift from the God who wants us to live that way, wants us to live fulfilled and at rest and happy in the deepest sense of the word. Uh, that is the gift we are celebrating this day. Amen.